Last year, last December, I finished my dissertation, and, and I was really glad because I've been in school a long time. I still have that continual dream that I've, I've, I'm not through with school. I have this dream that I didn't go to my Spanish class. Do anybody have dreams like that? Uh, I still wake up, and then I go, oh, I'm finished with school. Thank, thank the Lord. But, uh, but I wrote this dissertation on death and dying, and it's kind of funny because, uh, you know, it, it about killed me. I mean, this whole thing is a killer. Um, I'm just kidding. I heard all kinds of jokes about that dissertation, um, but um, but I finished it, and and I guess uh, when you write a dissertation, you're supposed to be the expert in that subject. So someone, I guess, has to be the expert in death and dying, and I'm it. So it's it's awesome. But um, you know, um, in spite of my all my reading and all my study on death and dying, I've never seen an autopsy. Uh, ever in my life. I've never, I never studied that. I didn't look at that. And uh, I have an uncle uh, who passed away several years ago in our family, and he, he's a, uh, he was a really incredible surgeon, uh, heart surgeon, and just incredible, incredibly smart guy. He, uh, he passed away several years ago, but he was uh, a surgeon for the University of Pittsburgh. And, and I loved hearing Brack tell stories, Uncle Brack tell stories. When he grew up, and his dad was a diplomat in Panama, and uh, right before he started medical school, his dad got him a cadaver. I guess you can buy those in Panama. I don't know. I don't know what the rules are. But, uh, but he had a cadaver the entire summer in his basement. And uh, he spent all summer working on that. And, and you know, most, most people, that kind of freaks them out. They're like, I can't see uh, organs and body things and like that. But, but um, he spent all summer doing this autopsy. And an autopsy basically, is, the word means to see with one's own eye. That's what autopsy means. It's, it's, it suggests the process of, of dissecting and examining a body to determine the cause of death. That's what an autopsy is. Now, this morning we're in Revelation chapter 3, 1 through 6, and basically we're looking at the autopsy of a church. And it's an interesting picture of this church at Sardis. Sardis was, uh, was, is in ruins today, but it used to be this incredible city. It was, in its day, it, it was a wealthy place. It, it was the first place to mint coins in gold and silver. That, that was the city of Sardis. Um, it looked like the place to live, like you would want to live there until you got there. And you realized how empty it was. You know, it's interesting about the city of Sardis. Uh, they had become equated with cowardice and laziness. That was the city of Sardis, uh, the ancient city. It, it, three times the city was, was uh, taken over by, uh, by invading armies. And the reason it was taken over, they just didn't prepare to defend their city. And, and it was just an interesting Condition And maybe that was really the condition of the church at Sardis because they were, you know, because of this autopsy. When it comes to the message that Jesus gave this church, he was the most harsh to this church than all the churches in the book of Revelation, the, the, the seven churches. He was harsh with them. And, and when I think about what he said to them, he, he, he tells them, that they were dead. That you have this reputation for being alive, but you're really a dead 
church. And, um, you know, I've got this picture, and if you ever come to my office, uh, it's right above my desk. And it's my favorite piece of art that I own. Josh Burton drew this. It's a chalk drawing. Josh Burton was an eighth grader in my ministry at Council Road, and he's now married and has kids, but, but he drew this as an eighth grade student. And, um, and he gave it to me, and I, I just love it. And people come into my office, and they're like, what, what is that? And I, I bring it out at least twice a year probably uh, when I preach because it's, it, it helps me reorient. It helps me refocus. And, and I try to do this often in my office, you know, because sometimes you put something on the wall and you don't look at it anymore, right? I try not to do that with this. And, and I want you to see it. I want you to, to, to feel it a little bit today. You know, when, when um, you know, here, here you have kind of this dark picture. It's kind of eerie a little bit. And, but I want you to notice it. Um, it's this, this guy right here. He represents Christians and believers. People that have the light, right? And, and, and he's got the light. His candle is burning. He's got a candle. And you can see that the light is impacting him. It's, it's shining up his face. It's, it's lighting up his world, if you will. But, but you see all these this shadowy people, hollow-eyed people behind him and beside him. And actually, they're right around him. And what's interesting about this, there, there's a guy right here that, that is closest. He's the you can tell he's the most empty. He's, the, he's right next to him, and he's got a candle in his hand, but it's not lit. The problem is with this guy, what, what do you notice about him? His eyes are shut, aren't they? You know, and when, I, when, I, when Josh drew that, I thought, oh, my goodness, thank you. Josh, I just, it's just a treasure to me. Because you know, it reminds me of, of just how the Lord has has moved in my life and how God has spoken to me throughout my journey. And, 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 I, and I've promised the Lord. I, went, I said many times I, I, I come to the Lord and I say, Lord, I, I promise you that as a believer, as a Christian, as a follower of you, I will be awake. You know, for 2,000 years, Jesus has been telling us it's been harvest time, right? Harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And, I, and I've committed in my own life to the Lord, God, I will be awake during the harvest time. And I said to the Lord, as long as you give me influence, as long as you give me breath, I will do everything in my power to lead people, your people, to be awake in their life, awake to the spiritual battle. It's a commitment to the Lord that I made. And I, I think about in this last few weeks, as we've looked at the messages to the churches at Revelation, I pray that you and I are a part of the body, the church, that is, that is in the middle of God's will, that, that, that is awake during the world we live in, and, and that we are not a dead church, or believers who are missing the, the incredible opportunity and responsibility of walking with God and knowing him and serving him and loving him and, and ministering to the world and embracing the call of our life, of our church. Now, the, 
I believe every church has an opportunity to walk with the Lord and know the Lord. But you know what? It's interesting. Not every believer, not every church experiences this. And so this morning, I'm, my heart is moved, and I pray that we hear the message to the church at Sardis. Would you stand and turn to Revelation chapter 3? We're in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 6. I pray we hear this message, and let's look at this problem that Sardis was facing. He says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, look back at verse 1 with me. Stay in your Bibles here and let's look at this. In, in verse 1, he says, to the angel of the church of Sardis, right, we've looked at this, that it's likely the pastor of the church that he's writing to. And he's saying, I'm right. Jesus has a message for the pastor of the church. And, and I think about the responsibility that we have as pastors to, to listen to the Lord and listen to Jesus' voice. And, and, and as, as, as just children of God, as, as followers of Christ, we have the responsibility to listen to his voice. And he says, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, look at, what, look at his message here. This is from Jesus, the one who's in control. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now think about that. Point number one today that, that we've got to see is that it's really possible for churches to die. I mean, it's possible for churches to die. I mean, there was a time in Sardis when it was very much alive, and, and there was a day that this church was, was, was serving well, and, and it was the, the glory days, if you will. They, they had glory days. They had days that, that man, God was moving, and, but, but slowly they died. And what's interesting, they had a reputation of being alive but they were dead. I mean, what a tragic indictment that they were, um, they were a dead church. And I don't know if you've ever been a part of a dead church, um, but it's, it's disheartening. I mean, it's, it's like, it, it's, there's a, even a smell of death in the air. It's discouraging. 
you know, Tom Rainer is a, is a, a great leader in Southern Baptist life, and, and uh, he had many positions of importance. He's the head of Lifeway right now, and, and uh, he recently wrote an article about why churches die. And, and I want to just give you some of the, some of the things that Tom Rainer said. He's a better expert than I am. So he, he said, uh, a lot of churches die because they are waiting on the magic bullet pastor. That churches are looking for some pastor. We live in the day of the celebrity pastor, right? I mean, there's celebrity pastors all around us. And, and, and you know, um, I don't want us to forget that as a pastor, I'm not in charge of this church. I'm not the head of this church. Who's the head of this church? Jesus is. God's the head of this church. And, and sometimes... Um, this is a message to me, a warning to me that, 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 it's not, that we don't need a celebrity pastor here. We need a celebrity savior here. And that's the celebrity. And it's my prayer that as a church moves forward that we lift up the name of Jesus here. And it's he, he's the one that people remember when they serve here and they, and they, and they work here. And, they, and that, that when people look at our church, they don't, they don't see a pastor or, a, or leaders, they see Jesus. And churches die because they're just looking for some pastor that is, they put their faith in. Let me tell you something, you put your faith in me, I will disappoint you very quickly. We put our faith in Jesus, in Christ. And I pray we never forget that. A church dies when they, they fail to accept responsibility, Rainer says. I mean, I mean that, that, that we have a responsibility in this community and, and, in this, and, and we've got to live where we're planted and grow where we're planted. And, and, and we have a responsibility here. We've got a job to do here. And as a, as a body of believers, we figure this out, that, that we accept the responsibility for this community. And it goes back to like the, the moment I get on the, and I've told you this before, when I, when I got on the highway going to Calvary and I, and I said to the Lord, Lord, is, is Tulsa really our responsibility? And God's like, what did you say? Yeah, no, Lord, it's, it is. Yeah, it is. Ready. We're going to go, by golly. Um, churches die because they fail to accept responsibility. Folks, we have the responsibility to communicate salvation to people all around us and to serve this community and, and to make a difference here, to live as the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Churches die because they are not willing to change at all, Rainer says. You know, um, the rate of change is crazy in our world. I mean, used to, we would measure change by the century. Remember? Around, around 1900, we, we, we measured, oh, you're from the 1700s, 1600s, 1800s, 1900s. And then it all changed around the 1900s. The Industrial Revolution changed the world. My opinion here. Change then began being measured by decades. Oh, the 20s, 30s. 40s, you'd measure change by decades. Now, today, we measure change by the iPhone. Which version do you have? So it's crazy how rapid change is embracing us. And I'll tell you, we better change. Now, we'll talk about that in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Churches 
die because they're too busy fighting and criticizing. And I see this. Churches that are, are so busy infighting and, and fighting over different doctrines or different things. And, and I'll tell you, we better never do that here. We, we, we've got a call to share the gospel, and, and we've got to be busy about communicating the message of Christ to the world. And I'll tell you, when we're busy doing that, we don't have to have time to fight over things like carpet and lights and, you know, doctrines that are in-house debates as believers. And I'll tell you, I pray that we don't do that. It says churches die because they're confusing non-negotiables with negotiables. Sometimes we fight over the wrong things. We make things sacred that aren't meant to be sacred. And, and, and you know, churches die because they fight over non-negotiables. They, they die because their solutions are all inwardly focused, Rainer says. Churches that just look inward and forget to look at the community, forget to look around, around them and, and, and remember that we're called to reach the lost. And, and I'll tell you, they, they turn inward. And may God move us to never turn inward. Churches die, he says, because they desire to return to 1985. I don't know why he chose 85. I didn't write it. Tom Rainer did. But you pick your date. I, I still hear moments of the million more in 54. Anybody remember that? Anybody remember? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Okay. You know, in Southern Baptist life, the 1950s were unbelievably productive for us. People, many, a million people got saved in 1954 in the United States of America. And that's awesome. But so often, people in the church tend to look back and go, remember what it used to be like. Man, we live in the past. I thank the Lord for our past, but may we never live there. May we look forward. And, and you know, it's interesting. Mark 7, 8 and 9 says this, You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And I'll tell you, we better be a church that is willing to date our methods. Uh, we'll date our methods, but we stay married to our message. Now, the message of Christ will never change. The fact is people need Jesus more than they need the next breath that they take. But I'll tell you, we must remain a church that looks that is grateful for our past, but we're moving into the future, reaching people with the gospel. I want us to hear this today. You know, death is interesting because when someone is dying, they, 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 what do they say? Let's make you more comfortable, right? But living is harder, isn't it? When you're living, you're, you're, you're often uncomfortable. Because what, what, what did I, it's like this morning, I, I, my alarm went off and I was like, oh, it's 34 degrees. I looked at the temperature and I was like, oh, I don't want to run today. That's uncomfortable. It's going to be cold. My dog didn't want to run with me today. But I ran today. And, and that's uncomfortable. 
That's a great picture to remember that, that living is sometimes more uncomfortable and we should not strive for comfort in our life. This is the biggest problem in American Christianity. This is why churches all over are stagnant and, and believers are, are, get, are quick to get into sin because we so focus on comfort and may we never do that. It's possible for churches to die. Point number two is this. At First Baptist Owasso, a dying church is not an option for us. It's not an option. And I pray that forever this remains not an option for us. Look at, look at verse 2. What does Jesus say to this church? He says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Look at this. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. What, what does Jesus say to him? He's like, wake up. Look, you're not done. Your work is not finished. And he says to Sardis, this, this message that to this church in a community full of people that needed Christ, and he says, wake up. You're not done. You may think you're done. You're not done. And as long as we have breath, we are not finished. You may feel like, oh, you know, Chris, I'm, I'm a senior adult. I can't do as much as I, as I used to. You're not done. You're not done. There'll never be a moment where we say we've reached enough people in this community. Never will, be that, that, will that moment come until Jesus returns and we're in heaven. We'll be done because he'll be done. And I, and I pray that we remember that, goodness, dying is not an option. So what do we need to do? What does this look like? What, do, what does it mean? What does it look like to wake up? What does it look like to, to live with your eyes open and not with your eyes shut? Well, a couple of things I want to throw at us today. We've got to notice people who need Christ. I mean, and I pray that we do this. I pray we don't get lulled into the idea that everybody around us knows Jesus or, or knows about Christ or, or goes to church or, or understands the gospel. Uh, that's not true. And we, be, we better not believe that. Of course Satan wants us to believe that. Uh, oh, we've got enough. And hey, we're, we're big enough. And, and, and oh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't divide our, our Bible study group. We like it like this. Man, we've got to notice people that need Christ. What did Jesus say in Matthew 9? Oh my goodness, Matthew 9. What did he say? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And what does he say? Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he sends out workers into his harvest field. That's us. I mean, you and I are an answer to the prayer of Jesus and the disciples. And I pray that when I draw my last breath, if, if I'm there when Jesus returns, like Revelation talks about the, the return of Christ, that, that he finds me right in the middle of the field working. I pray that he finds us right in the middle of the field working. That's why these Christmas feed, or excuse me, Thanksgiving feed this week, and let me, let me challenge us as you deliver food this Thanksgiving. Um, don't just deliver food without saying, hey, let me tell you why we're doing this. Hey, Jesus has changed me. Can I tell you about how Christ has forgiven me? 
And, and, and don't deliver food and, and, and not talk about Jesus because all you're going to do is uh, let them go to hell on a full stomach. Right? Come on. Let's speak up. Now, salvation isn't in your hands. It's in God's. But we're a part of this. We should notice people who need Christ. Jesus says, wake up. You know, the, the second law of thermodynamics is, is, is that everything moves to disorder. I mean, look at your yard or your house, your dishes, you know. I mean, last night I got great brownie points with my wife. She's like, would you do the dishes? Absolutely, honey. I would love to do the dishes. And I did them. I go, oh, you didn't I? Thanks. Okay, that was good. <laughs> I didn't even complain. I didn't complain one time. But, but when it's the track a church has to stay on, stay on involves two things. Evangelism, reaching the world. Discipleship, growing us up. You know, we have a purpose statement of our church, and I don't know if you know it. I want you to know it. We need to know it. We need to memorize it. We talk about it in our new members class, but, but I want you to see it today. Hopefully, a lot of you could quote it, but, it, but our purpose statement is this, that, that, that our purpose is to love all people to Christ equipping them on their journey with God and one another. Write that down. Know that, that, that as a church, we are to love all people to Christ. That's, an ele- that's that element of evangelism. We're to, we're to love the world to Christ. It's not our arguments that are going to see people come to Christ. It's not our coolness that are going to see people come to Christ. It's not our, our wealth or our um, whatever. It's our love for people that the world is going to see their need of Christ. We're to love all people to Christ. We're to equip them on their journey with God. We're to grow up in your relationship with God. We're to, we're to equip one another on our journey together. We're to learn to forgive one another and love one another and help one another. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, or verse 4, he says, strengthen what remains. In other words, don't stagnate. Let's not get stagnant. And, 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 you know, when it comes to following Christ, we not only need to, to, to notice people that, that need to know Jesus, but, but you've got to consistently make course corrections, right? To follow Jesus, you've got to consistently bring your life back on course. That's why the preaching of the word every week, we give an invitation because, honestly, daily, we need to reorient our life back into following Jesus, and so often we, we don't consistently make course corrections. As a church, we've got to continually do this. Say, are we on track? Are we fulfilling God's plan for our life? You know, we, God has moved in our church in 2017. I believe we'll look back on 2017 as a milestone year for the life of our church. Let me tell you something. We better never live in 2017. I mean, we should for the next month. And then we're going to be in 2018, and we're like, God, what do you want us to do? How do, we go, how do we follow you? Let's reorient. Let's be right with you. You consistently make course corrections. David Platt, I heard him speak this week. He's the head of the International Mission Board. And, man, I am, I'm just still fired up about this message and convicted about the message he preached on, on Tuesday at our, at our Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma. You know one of the things he said? Because the last thing we need to do is, as Christians in America is, is spread nominal Christianity. 
That's the last thing that we ought to do around the world. And, and, and I'll tell you, when it comes to my walk with the Lord, the last thing I want to be is nominal, just a normal Christian. I want to be a passionate follower of Christ. I pray that's who we are. Look at verse 4. No, 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 excuse me, verse 3. He says, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, look at this, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Now, know what Jesus says here. He's not saying, I'm, I'm returning. This is not a reference to the second coming of Christ. This is a reference to the fact that Jesus said to Sardis, if you don't wake up, I will come like a thief against you. Wait, wait a minute. I thought, we just saying he's a good, good father. He is. He's an amazing father. And what does he do to his children? What does he do to those he loves? He disciplines those he loves. Now, we don't think about, oh, wow, God would come against us? Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's why he's saying, wake up. You know, that's why verse 4, look at verse 4. He says, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, we've got to remember, John is writing, a, it's apocalyptic literature, so he's writing in figurative language, and so we've got to understand that, and he gives this incredible picture here, but we see a church that dies, uh, we, to avoid this, we've got to, first of all, never stop noticing those that need Jesus. We've got to consistently make course corrections, and third thing, we must never stop coming clean and walking with the Holy Spirit. We should consist, consistently come clean, consistently own up to our sin, consistently say, God, look, I've gotten off track here. And this ought to be a daily process for us. Lord, I want to reorient my life to you. I want to, I want to confess my sin to you. Now, now um, our baptism today was right on. You don't have to keep getting saved. But we've got to keep getting right with the Lord. It's like Brandon said today, how many of you are sinners? Me? We all are. Lord, we need you to forgive us, to wash us. And now point number three, and let's wrap this up because I want to just not miss this. Waking up is, is motivating the more you understand salvation. And, and see, we should, it's a no-brainer for us to be awake because we should understand the beautiful, the incredible picture of salvation. Look at what John writes. Verse, verse 5, he says, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. Now, anytime you see white garments, first of all, the one who conquers, did you know that the moment the Holy Spirit comes into you, that he strengthens you, he holds you, he sustains you. We as believers in Christ will overcome because the Holy Spirit indwells in us. And that hope happens the moment of salvation. Now, waking up is a, is a no-brainer when you understand salvation here. Look at this. The one who conquers will be clothed 
thus in white garments. What's this a reference to? It's this. Our sins are gone. Our sins are taken away. Oh my goodness, do you realize that? That's what happened the second you came to faith in Christ. Your sins were wiped away. And sometimes we've forgotten this. We've gotten prideful and, oh, I'm righteous. I'm self-righteous. No, we're not righteous. We, our greatest need is not education. Our greatest need is not money management. Our greatest need in the world is forgiveness. And Jesus washed our sins away. Oh, my goodness. He clothed us in white garments. Jesus, I mean, the prophet said, though your sins are as scarlet, Jesus made them white as snow. Oh my goodness. Don't you remember what God rescued you from? I think about the skepticism of some people that will say, oh, a five-year-old, how can he know everything about salvation? He can't. A 50-year-old can't either. But I I was watching him be baptized today and thinking, Lord, how you're going to move in him. How you're going to protect him from so much. As he grows up understanding the beautiful picture of salvation. And John says, we are clothed in white garments. Look at this. He also, this beautiful picture of salvation. And I, back at verse 5, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. You know, the moment of salvation, your name was written in a book, the book of life. And I want you to understand the incredible, lifelong picture of salvation. Do you know that when you are saved, you never lose your salvation? And there are a lot of people in our world, in our city, that would believe, oh, you can lose this salvation. And I want you to recognize that salvation is not in your hands. You didn't establish it, and you don't maintain it. God does. Beautiful verse, and it describes the eternal picture of salvation is, is, in, is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. And, and it says this, And you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. And I want you to know, the second you trusted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit marked you, indwelled you, and in that moment, your name was written in the book of life. And the more we understand salvation, the more we recognize the world needs that. And I gotta be in the middle of his will. I've got to be serving the Lord. Being awake is a no-brainer when you understand that your name is in the book of life. Look back at verse 5. He says, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And don't we, we got to hear this. Being awake is a no-brainer because God himself will reward the work of our hands. 
there's going to be a day we stand before the Lord and give an account of the way we served him. And, and I believe that in heaven, we together are going to be, we're going to know one another and we're going to remember how we serve the Lord together. And God's going to show us the full picture of how he used the mission to, to help, the, help Owasso and Tulsa come to Christ. I think that he's going to help us see the picture of how Calvary Baptist Church and First Baptist Owasso came together to continue the work of God in the world and in this city. And, and God's going to reward the work of our hands. And this is why Hebrews chapter, chapter 10 verse 39 just winds my watch. I can't, I can't get away from it. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are of those who have faith and persevere their souls. And let me tell you something, as a follower of Christ in this church, we're not going to shrink back. In a culture that's moving more and more antagonistic against those that follow Jesus, we won't shrink back. We will proclaim the message of, of Christ and we will move forward and say, God, we're going to follow you. We're going to be in your will. We're going to walk with you and understand salvation. Do you understand it? Because if you really understand it, being, opening your eyes and being awake and, and, and being a church that says, God, we are looking to the future, not the past. We're grateful for the past. Our methods, hey, that's just a method. The message needs to go forward. So let's do it. Let's work together. Dying is not an option for us. And that's really what John is saying, what Jesus is saying through John to the church at Sardis. Your work is not done. Strengthen what remains before it dies. Turn around, repent, follow me. You know, as I look at us, everywhere around us I see signs of life. I see signs that our church is alive. But I'll tell you, we must continually look to the Lord. Continually say, God, may we follow you and be in the center of your will. If you are here today and following Jesus is mildly important to you, hear this call to repent and come back to the Lord. If you're here today and, and you're like, wait, wait a minute, time out. You mean my sins can be forgiven? Oh, Chris, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I have done. You, you may be a, a lady here and you, you may, Chris, I, I had an abortion and you don't know how guilt, I, how much guilt I feel and how much devastation I feel. And, and you may be here today and you're a husband that's been, been abusing your wife and, and you feel guilty or, or maybe you have an addiction. And you're like, Chris, you don't know what I've done. I'm standing here saying, don't you know how powerful the cross was. When Jesus shed his blood for you, his act on the cross and his resurrection from the dead obliterated every sin that you've ever made, ever committed. Come to Jesus today. I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. Our altars are open.
And maybe you need to come and just get on your knees and pray. Maybe you need to come and come talk to one of our staff members and say, okay, look, I need to know about this baptism thing or this relationship with God thing, this forgiveness thing. Well, let us take God's word and show you the amazing power of forgiveness in your life. Would you just listen to his voice? Would you stop pushing away the call of God? Just listen to him and trust him.